Continue our study of the book of Ephesians. We'll be picking up our study in Ephesians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, um, put your hand in the air and the guys will bring one to you. The title of today's message is Making Plain the Mystery. And the word mystery is a, a word that seems to bring to mind something in literature, uh, uh, like a mystery novel written by Joel Rosenberg or Randy Alcorn or Frank Peretti or, you know, somebody that it just has that gift of writing mystery. And and really, you can make those connections with the English word mystery, but this is misleading in regard to what's meant by Paul in our text this morning. In the New Testament, the Greek word mysterion, it, it means something which is beyond natural knowledge, but has been opened to us by divine revelation through the Holy Spirit. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, gives a a little bit of understanding to this. In chapter 1, verse 26, he says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. And, And so it's something that was previously hidden that God has given knowledge of or opened up the truth of what that mystery is. It's something that was not previously understood, which is now disclosed to believers. The secret is opened up. So let's look at our text and have this mystery made plain to us. Beginning at verse 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Now, we need to stop at this verse because... A couple of things jump out of this verse when we look at it. The first is, you know, I'm always amazed that Paul wrote this letter from prison. The letter to the Ephesians contains the thoughts of a man who was doing time. He was incarcerated. And uh, yet in that prison situation, I'll draw the picture for you, during the daytime he had... He had freedom to have visitors and friends come and visit him, but at night he was chained to Roman soldiers so that he wouldn't escape. And and so he was, in fact, incarcerated at the time. He he was waiting for his arraignment before a narcissistic emperor named Nero. And Nero was a violent man. And, and so you, you would never know Paul's predicament by the depths of the content that are written to us in this letter. Rather than seeing himself in prison, Paul chooses to see himself in Christ. And, and, you know, this is a choice that you and I can make as well. Do you get lost in your your physical surroundings or uh, do we 
stay caught up in the spiritual blessings? I mean, that's a, a question that you have to answer for yourself. In your heart of hearts, where do you abide? Are you in pain or are you in Christ? Are you in debt or are you in Christ? Are you uh, in fear or are you in Christ? Are you overwhelmed or are you in Christ? Rather than a prisoner to Rome or to Nero, Paul says he's a prisoner of Christ. He belongs to Jesus. That's a good place to be no matter what your circumstances should bear. The second thing that jumps out is is that the Lord is responsible for what happens to his servant. You know, Christians are never a, a victim of their circumstances. God is sovereign. And, and so nothing gets to me or my life doesn't go through anything that it doesn't go through his hands first. God, God isn't ever surprised at what I'm going through or what you're going through. And, and so this is why we can't necessarily interpret hardship as a derailment from God's purpose for our life. Oftentimes he, he will use circumstances to shape our life and to hone our life in to the man or woman of God that he wants us to be. In fact, Paul promises us in, in his letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3.12, 3, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And, and so that, that's one of the promises we, we try to neglect. <laughs> we, we don't want to claim that one for ourselves. But the reality is, is that it is a promise to those who choose to follow after Christ. You know, if somebody convinced you to become a Christian by promising you that all your troubles were going to end or disappear, I I want to apologize to you this morning because that is not a true statement. And, And if they built it up like, you know what, if you you come to Jesus, then everything becomes roses and and it's all good um again i would apologize for that statement our god doesn't promise to remove us from trials but he ensures that he will be with us as we experience or go through the trial and and so even though we we will have difficulty we do have his promise that he will be with us so that we can endure whatever it is that we face. So we'll pick it up now in verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, and that was a reference back to what we looked at in chapter 2, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to his or by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. And and so in, in his continuing thought from the previous chapter, the Apostle Paul believed it was necessary to reiterate what he had already expressed to them earlier in the letter, 
uh, about this subject that, that he says is so important. He calls the mystery of Christ and, and the mystery he even reveals the answer to in this, in this, uh, verse six is, is that the Jews and the Gentiles now have the same access to God through this gospel message that has been preached. That is the mystery that was unknown in, in earlier ages that has been made known now through the apostles. And, you know, we, we see this repetition in Scripture, and I just want to take a moment to, to kind of speak to that issue. Because, you know, when, when you're going through a Bible study like we do here, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, oftentimes you'll run into the same subject right after you just looked at it, and, and so you'll be sitting there and you'll be thinking, well, gosh, doesn't this guy have any new material? Can he come up with something different? Well, the reality is, is I, I believe the scripture is repetitive because we need it to be repetitive. Because as human beings, we leak. And so we take information in and it just disappears. And, and so then we're reminded of it again and we're like, oh yeah, 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 I remember that. And, 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 you know, the more times we hear it, the better chance we have of it sticking in our mind. And so I don't apologize for repeating because the Scripture is repetitive and it's designed that way, I believe, on purpose. At the end of chapter 2, Paul was sharing a, a glorious truth. He, it was a truth regarding how Jesus Christ had broken down the wall that had divided the, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so... Uh, Paul spent a good deal of, of time at the end of the chapter just making sure they understood that the, the dividing wall had been taken down in Christ, that there was, there was unity now for the Jew and the Gentile because of who they were in Christ. And, and so uh, he, he has made us all one in Christ. And so the Gentiles who were previously alienated from God from the promises of God, now have been brought near through the blood of Christ, and they're partakers of, of this relationship with God that the Jews had experienced for some time. And, and so that means you and me as Gentiles share in this the, the wonders of God's grace through Christ. And it's for this reason, Paul says in verse 1, that he is a prisoner of Christ. He said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles. It's all connected to Paul preaching this gospel message to the, Brent, to the Gentiles. And, and the, that's the reason why he was put in prison. It was because he chose to be that agent of, of preaching the grace of God to Gentiles. And that deeply upset the Jews. Paul, Paul was saying that the Gentiles could be accounted as righteous, just like Abraham through faith was accounted as righteous. And, and this disturbed the Jews beyond understanding. And, and so, you know, Paul was, was saying there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. We all participate in uh, this amazing salvation that is offered through Christ. And and so he, he tells them he is a prisoner for, uh, of Christ for the sake of the Gentiles. Now, maybe you remember the story uh, found in Acts 21 and 22. Paul was 
in Jerusalem for a meeting with James and the elders. There was this dispute going on about how the the Jews were trying to put this stigma back on the Gentiles and and some of the new Jewish converts to try to put them back under the law. And so so they had the first church council there in Jerusalem. They came together and Paul was going to try and help straighten out this this mess that had, had taken place. And and so as they were trying to load uh, down these people with the law and put it back onto the backs of those who had been set free from the law, uh, Paul met with them in order to bring some light to this and about the value of God's grace. Now, when the meeting concluded with James and the elders, he went out into the Jewish synagogue and did what Paul did on a regular basis. He started to preach. And he he was um, preaching the way he normally did with power and authority. And, and as usual, men started making false accusations against Paul uh, because of his teaching. And they were shouting different things about him and the message. And so turn with me, if you will, to Acts 21. We'll pick it up in verse 28. And we'll see the response to Paul's preaching. It says, In crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed Paul had brought into the temple. And and so they react to his preaching by getting angry with him because he started opening up things to the Gentiles in his preaching. And and so they they jumped him, they started a riot, the Roman guards had to come in and break up the fight. And and so Paul was the one who was arrested for this disturbance. Now uh, a typical move by the Apostle Paul, he seized the opportunity to preach the gospel again. Even though he had just been beat up, even though they had just taken him into custody, uh, he he looked to to take a bad situation and turn it into something productive for the kingdom of God. And so right before the Roman guards were going to put him into the lockup, standing at the door, Paul request to speak to the crowd. And now keep in mind, these are the people who just beat him up, and he still has a concern for their salvation. And so um, he, he stood at the door of the lockup, and he begins to share his testimony about how on the road to Damascus, Jesus met him there on the road, and he um, really made Paul aware of his presence. Now, I, I love how Paul can can do this time and time again. He can look at even terrible circumstances in his life, and he can he can see a way to use it for the kingdom of God, and and to share Jesus with the people around him. And so, after sharing about his salvation, he shared with the crowd the ministry that God had called him to, and that is when 
the Jews just freaked out. And, and if you jump into the next chapter in Acts 22. So Paul shares his testimony about his salvation and, and he's going to share his call to the ministry. And, and where we're going to pick it up in verse 14, he's referring to Ananias speaking to him in the text. And he says about what Ananias said, he said, Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear him speak. For you are to be his witnesses or his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard, what you are waiting for. Get up or what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But the Lord, but Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow! He isn't fit to live! And they yelled and they threw off their coats and they tossed handfuls of dust into the air. Now, you got to kind of get a mental picture of what's happening. Paul is standing at the door and he's preaching this message. He shares his testimony with them and they're tracking with him. They're listening to him and, and hearing what he has to say. He even tries to identify with them by saying, look, you, you know, everybody knows that I was against Christianity. I was responsible for putting many in prison and I was in agreement when Stephen was martyred for his faith and and, and they were still tracking with him until he said, I've been called to preach this message to the Gentiles. The Jews snapped. They could not believe what he was saying about the Gentiles. They, they had so much animosity against the Gentile people that, that Paul um, became a prisoner of Christ over it, but but check out their response. I mean, they, they start shouting that he's not even fit to live, and then they do what was kind of custom in that day. We don't do this today, thankfully. But when they when they got disgusted or, you know, just totally freaked out over something, they would throw their coat off and they'd grab dirt and throw it in the air, and it was just a, a sign of how displeased they were with life in that situation. Um, it's a weird thing to do, but culturally it fit at that time. But but it really showed that they they just could not understand this connection Paul was making with all of this relationship with God and then speaking about Gentiles in the same sentence. And this is why in the previous chapter we looked at why it was so important for Paul when speaking to the Ephesian believers, was to communicate the unity that the Jew and the Gentile can have in Christ. Because they were such at odds with each other, 
He was saying, in Christ, that dividing wall is gone now. Christ has brought unity. He's brought it together. You have fellowship with one another. And, and so he, he's reemphasizing this with the Ephesians. And, and he, he knew that it was very important for the believers in the early church to grasp this concept of equality among believers. Well, I think it's just as important a message for us today in 2016. We need to know that there's equality among believers. In in this letter, Paul states that the message that that he was given to, to carry as he preached grace, there was no distinction among groups. Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. That there should be unity in the fact that both have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. This is the mystery that is is being made plain now by Paul. The mystery that the Apostle Paul was making plain to the Ephesian Christians. There's no distinctions. We all approach God on equal terms. It doesn't matter what our background is. doesn't matter where we come from, what we have done. doesn't matter who we've been with or, or not. We all come in the same position before Christ through the grace of God. Now, if, if he were writing to a church in America today, it wouldn't be a Jew-Gentile issue because we don't contend with that. It, it doesn't. It isn't a, a wall in our society. But but if he were writing to a church in America, we, we could probably write it about denominational issues. We have some division there. We have some some walls put up around denominational issues. And, and he would say that we who are in Christ are one. We're unified in Christ. There's no distinction. And, you know, we, we as Christians sometimes think because... We have found a church family that we completely fit into and we're at home here that everybody needs to be here or they're not really all the way saved. You know, they're there's almost there, but they're not quite where we are. I mean, you've, you've heard the story about the Baptist guy who, who, you know, ends up in heaven and he's walking with Peter and they go by this one door and Peter says, shh, 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 shh. quiet. Those people are from Calvary Chapel. They think they're the only ones here. You know, that's our attitude sometimes. We think, oh, you know, we've got the corner on the market. We know more than everybody else. Now, I'll tell you, as a pastor, it's hard to teach this kind of stuff because in my heart of hearts, I'd love to see everybody come here. And it's not for status. It's not to have a mega church. But I know if they come here that we're going to teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and they're going to get fed from the Word of God. And that that would be my desire for any believer to be in that kind of setting where they can be taught the Word of God. But the truth is, every personality that's in the body of Christ isn't going to fit in a family like this. That there are some people who can't relate to the casual dress in a Calvary Chapel. They they would sit in a chair and they would be looking at me the whole time and say, "How in the world can that guy preach with a Hawaiian shirt on?" 
And, and they just could not get past it. They would, they would be so hung up on the fact that I did not have a tie on that they wouldn't even hear the message being preached. And so they wouldn't grow in this environment. You know, this, this really came to light for me. Years ago, we had a, a police and fire fellowship at Calvary Phelan when I was there. And, um, one of the, the months that we had the gathering, I was going to be gone. And I usually taught the fellowship and, and I was going to be gone. So I asked one of the firefighters that was in our church to teach the Bible study. And when I came back, one of the cops that was in the, the fellowship, he didn't attend our church, but he came to the, the Bible study. He, he pulled me aside one day at the station. He said, you know, I, I just got to talk to you, man. Something's just been eating at me. I'm like, okay, you know, sure. And he said, you know, last month when you, when you had the, uh, guns and hoses is what we called it. When you had the guns and hoses fellowship, uh, it's true. That's what it was called. He said, uh, you know, you had this guy teach and, and he, he stood up there to teach and he had a kind of a raggedy t-shirt on. It had a couple little holes in it. Had a baseball hat on. He's like, I couldn't even hear what he was saying. I was so angry that he would be so disrespectful in the house of God that I couldn't even hear what he was saying. And I thought, ease up, bro. But for him, that was an issue. That you can't be that informal with the Word of God. And, and so everybody wouldn't thrive in a group like this. And, and so... Uh, there shouldn't be any reason, though, that we can't fellowship with other Christians, that we can't gather with other believers that, that don't come to our church, because we, we can have unity in Christ. And, and so now I'm not talking about cult groups that call themselves Christians. I'm talking about people who believe the Bible and, and are saved. We, we should be able to get together with believers and celebrate our relationship with Jesus Christ and and not spend so much time in disagreement. We, we have enough things we can agree upon in Christ that we can spend an eternity talking about those things. But instead, we we tend to major on the minors. You know, do you speak in tongues or not? Or do you believe that the gifts are for today or not for today? And, um, you know, do you sprinkle or immerse? Do you, you know... Uh, do you play a guitar for worship or the organ? And, and we, we hone in on all of these things that, that may be a style thing for us. And, you know, we, we use the guitar because we like that style and it lifts up the name of Jesus and we can worship that way, but some people can't. Some people can't even worship with instruments at all. Some people can't even worship at all. But we major on these minor things, and we allow the division to be more pronounced than the unity that we have in Christ. We need to come together in peace and keep Jesus the focus of the relationship. Now, there are some other doctrinal things we can be real firm about because it's biblical, but but style and you know, kind of our preference for things, those aren't worth dividing over. And so uh, 
you know, if we come together in peace and we focus on Jesus, by doing this, the world around us is going to be uh, more impacted uh, in, in a more powerful way. They will know we are Christians by what? Our large gatherings? Our huge buildings? Our arguments? No. They'll know we're Christians by our love for one another. By the way that we care about one another. And it doesn't matter what the brand name church that's on the door when you come in. As long as it's biblically based. I want to emphasize that because I don't want you to walk out thinking I'm, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid or something. It still needs to be (laughs) formed around the Scripture. And so Paul was trying to get these two groups of believers to understand that they both had a right standing with God in Christ. So we need to move along. Verse 7. Of which I became minister according to the gift of grace, of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul, assume no place of superiority even in having this mystery revealed to him to pass along to the people. Um, he, he takes the title here of minister. The word is diakonos in the Greek and it's, it, it simply means minister or worker or servant or it's where we get the term deacon from. And so he takes a lower title, one of the servant. To the Corinthians, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, he says, For I am least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He knew who he was apart from Christ, but he also understood God's grace. Paul simply could not get over the immense privilege that he had to be a minister of God's grace in preaching the gospel. It was a gift of God's grace that had transformed him from Saul the proud Pharisee who persecuted the church to Paul, the humble apostle, now a prisoner for Christ. It was the grace that transformed him. He he wasn't stuck on himself. He wasn't big-headed about what God allowed him to do. He knew that it was the grace of God that transformed him. He, He had been taken out of one group and put into another, and now he's a member of the body of Christ, a new man in Christ. All that had been accomplished was through the working and the power of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life. And because of this power, the grace of God working in his life, he became a servant now of this message. Folks, hear this. So many times we disqualify ourselves 
from being used by God. We, we look at our life and we think there's just nothing I have to offer. Nothing that God can use in me. The truth is, apart from God's grace, we are inadequate. All of us are. None of us are deserving of being used by God in any capacity. None of us. God saves sinners. He transforms sinners and then uses them for his glory. Realize this. Paul viewed himself as the least deserving person entrusted with such a powerful message, but it didn't stop him from preaching. Even though in his own estimation of himself, he was the least of all sinners. He still knew by the grace of God he could preach and that God would transform lives. It was the power in the message that he relied on. It was the grace of God that enabled him to exercise this power in his own life. And again, Christian, hear this truth. It's the same for you and it's the same for me today. When we have the opportunity to share with somebody. You know, we just had this group that got back from Uganda last night for the last two weeks. God has been using them way outside of their comfort zones. Going hut to hut and sharing Jesus. Having hundreds of people standing in a room and preaching Christ. And I hope you can come Wednesday and hear all about it. But but totally outside of their normal comfort zone and their own thoughts of their ability. And God used them in powerful ways. But you know what? You don't have to wait to get on the mission field. Even though it's great training ground. I, I want to encourage you to go. You get the opportunity. In fact, come back after third service. Hear all about the Philippines next year. I don't know how to explain this in a way for people to to get it until they go. But if you come Wednesday night, you're going to hear people who now get it. When you're on the mission field, it's a great training ground to be able to be bold for the kingdom of God. There's something about the dynamic of getting a team of people together outside of our normal environment in a foreign country where we don't know anything, and you wake up in the morning and you pray together, You do devotions together and you pray for God to show himself that day and you go out and God shows himself and you just experience this dynamic power. And then you come home and you're like, wow, what just happened? Well, he wants to do the same thing here. We don't have to do it on the mission field. That's just a great training ground. If you get a chance to go, it's life changing. However, you have the same Holy Spirit empowering your life here every day. Same one that empowered Paul. Same Holy Spirit that gave Paul the ability to do what he did. And again, Paul states he was the least of people qualified to be doing what he was doing. Even though we are unqualified, it's the power of God that makes it possible. And God will give us opportunity after opportunity to share the hope that is in us with a world that's in desperate need of being saved. 
There's a world falling apart around us. And, and we're waiting for a political solution. Folks, there is no political solution. Jesus is the answer. And we, we have the answer. He, he's delivered you. He's delivered me from the grip of sin. And now we have a message of hope to carry to a world that is in despair. You know, we don't have anything in and of ourselves that we can add to the equation. So stop looking. <laughs> don't, don't look at yourself and say, I don't see anything there. There doesn't need to be anything there. It's his calling, his equipping that makes it possible. It's all about his power and his grace working through us and connecting with the needs of those who are listening. All right. We're going to move along. Verse 9, further describing this mysterion, this mystery. He says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now you might be asking, well, why did God keep it secret, keep this secret for so long and wait for the, the church to expose it? Well, the Old Testament does declare that the Gentiles would be saved through Israel, but it didn't teach that the two groups would become the same before God. In fact, the angels in heaven didn't even know that that was coming. This didn't, the mystery wasn't unfolded until the Apostle Paul began to preach to the Gentiles. But certainly, the, the angels watched God's power through creation. They knew God's power. They knew that he was capable. And, and so, at the right time, the message was revealed to Paul so he could make it known to all mankind. I think it's interesting in verse 10 that Paul says that, this message may now be known by the church. That church is you and me. We can now know this message. Why? Because now it's our responsibility to preach the gospel that Paul began to preach to the Gentiles in the first century. It's the same gospel message. It's, it's bringing a, a, a sinful man into relationship with a perfect God through this gospel message of his son Jesus dying on a cross. That same gospel message that saved you and me, we now get to bring to the world so that they can understand their need to be saved. And, and so this gospel closes the gap that man could not close himself between God and man. Do you realize that the, the Christian message, message, the gospel that we've been entrusted with, it is the only system that man has in all of the religions on earth. Christianity is the only one where God comes to man to establish a relationship. Every other system, man has to perfect himself. You have to jump through their hoops. you got to you got to pray so many things. You got to do so many things. You got to sell magazines. You got to, 
you got to do something in order to make yourself acceptable to God in every other system. This is the problem. We can't make ourselves acceptable to God. That's why Jesus died. And, and that's what separates Christianity from every other religious system mankind has come up with. And we have been entrusted with that message to bring it to a dying world. And, and Paul tried his best to communicate this message wherever he went. In fact, it was said of Paul that he turned the world upside down with this message. Now think about that. This guy's going around. He's just being a faithful man of God to be faithful to the gift that God had given him and the calling that he put on his life. But the response from those watching Paul's ministry said, man, this guy is turning the world upside down with this message. Wouldn't it be great if you and I had the same reputation? It's the same Holy Spirit, the same message. The message isn't different than Paul's message. It's the same power behind it. And so wouldn't it be great if people said, hey, you know, those people at Calvary Chapel, they, they actually believe what they preach. And they're turning the world upside down because they have faith in the God that they have been transformed by. And, and it would just radically impact society. You know, this was so ingrained in Paul's life that, that even when he was in this immense pressure, he was not discouraged from ministry. They were throwing him into prison and he wasn't discouraged. He said, you know what? Let me talk to him one more time. <laughs> Let me just give it one more shot. And again, he wrote this letter from prison. Just just look at the, the wealth of knowledge and understanding that we draw from the book of Ephesians. It's because of Paul's determination not to be distracted by the pressures of life the message was more important than his circumstance. Paul knew that if he could have such a major impact on the world around him, if the church understood what God has entrusted to us, and we got busy about sharing, it would radically change a society. Folks, again, there's not a political solution coming for our society. But we have an answer. We have a message that can radically transform a society. Christians would take it serious. If we catch the vision, we can be a force for God in this world that's in desperate need of Him. If we catch the determination that the Apostle Paul had, and we live with that same determination, we'll not have trouble doing what is painted right above that door of reaching people for Jesus in our community and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we'll end with these verses, verse 11 through 13. According to the external purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him, therefore I ask you, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And again, Paul is, is reminding the Ephesian Christians and us now as we read it that we can boldly approach 
the very throne of God. We talked about that last week. We, we have the privilege through Christ to enter right into the throne of God and petition Him. Regardless of who you are or what you have done, through Christ we've been cleansed. We can, we can go through into the Holy of Holies and we can stand in the very presence of God. Man, what a powerful position. Christian, hear the Word of God this morning. Spend time in the presence of God. Letting Him build into you the character and the passion to share this gospel message with those around you. Take direction from Him in order to make use of your life for kingdom, the kingdom's sake. Not forgetting that your qualification is in Christ. It's not your own skill, your own ability. Your qualification is in Christ. We're all positioned equally. Every one of us in this room is positioned equally to be used by Him. We're commissioned to preach the gospel message. And you know what? When you do that, if you've never led somebody to Christ and and you begin to share your faith with people and you get to actually pray with somebody to receive Christ, you're going to be so stoked. There's nothing like standing with somebody and praying and watching somebody go from death to life in the power of a prayer. I mean, it's just, it's just a, a powerful thing to experience. Let Him use your life. You're called. You're, you're equipped. You're qualified. You're commissioned. Jesus said this in Mark 16, 15, and He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You're commissioned to go. The mystery has been made plain. This message is available to all mankind. To anybody He puts you near, that Gospel message is applicable to their life. Now maybe you're not a Christian yet. Hopefully, the mystery has been made clear to you. That Jesus died for you. And that you can be saved. You can be born again and have your sin forgiven. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to pray and to ask Jesus to come into your life and to save you. And you can have the same radical transformation that, that we've been reading about in the Apostle Paul. Please consider that before you leave here today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the example that we see in the Apostle Paul's life as we read through our text, we see a man that you qualified, that you empowered, and that you used for your kingdom's sake. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room, Lord, that we would have the same passion and determination in our Christian walk to be that person that would preach the gospel message and to share every opportunity you give us. Lord, I pray that you would use this church to transform our little corner of the desert and beyond, Lord. May you have your way in us. 
And Lord, I pray if there's any among us that, that need to experience salvation, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them by your Holy Spirit even now. I just want to give you that opportunity right now to pray and to ask Jesus to be your Savior so that your sin can be forgiven. If that's you and you want that today, put your hand up so I can see it. I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus as your Savior. Anybody at all? Lord, again, what a what a joy it is to know who we are in Christ. Lord, may you use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.